All right, while those are going out, I want to welcome you here today, and I want to welcome you to 2016. I want to welcome you to a new year, and this ought to be a reminder of every January 1st that we see, that ought to be a reminder to us of the grace of God. Because the gospel is a reminder to us that we don't deserve life. We don't deserve to live. We don't deserve a pulse in this world. And yet God has graciously sustained us. And we get another year. We've seen another year with God. And here's what I know about every Christian in this room. At some degree, in varying levels, but at some degree, every single one of you, when you think about this next year, 2016... At some level, deep down, for every believer, every one of you desire to redeem the time and to use this year for Christ, for His glory. And what I want to encourage you toward over these next couple of weeks is I want to encourage you in that direction. I want to encourage you to live for the one who was raised from the dead and not for yourself. And that 2016 for you would be marked by you laying down your life in service to, the, to, to this glorious Christ. Listen to this verse. Romans 14 verse 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So 2016, come life or death. We want to live and die for Jesus Christ. And I know that every one of you are amen in that. Deep down somewhere in there, you want that for yourself. And I want to encourage every member in this church to move more and more in that direction this year. And so the next few weeks, here's what we're going to do. With, with this aim to push us all in this direction, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the spiritual disciplines. You ever heard of, of some of the things in God's Word being called spiritual disciplines? And we're going to be looking at one of these over the next several weeks. Ryan started us off last week with evangelism. Today we're going to be talking about the Word of God. Next week we're going to be talking about the Word of God again. And then the two weeks after that we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting. These are the disciplines of the Christian life. Some of them, not all of them. Now here's the question that I want you to think about. Now why in the world, if we want to live for Christ and die for Christ and serve the Lord Jesus... And live our lives to the glory of God. Why in the world would we focus in on these disciplines? If you were to ask me that, why? Why are you going this direction? I would tell you, because I believe Proverbs 13, 4. Okay? And your next question ought to be, well, what does that mean? What, what does that say? Proverbs 13, 4, you believe that? What does that say? Here's Proverbs 13, 4. Listen close. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And that verse tells us something really interesting, right? That even the sluggard in God's word has desires. His soul has cravings. Even the sluggard in God's word. And you've never met a Christian, right? This is one of those hashtag said nobody ever things. You have never met a Christian that says, hello, the Lord Jesus transformed my life two years ago. And I would like to spend the entire year this year in indifference to the Lord Jesus, in coldness to the Lord Jesus. I want to waste my life for Christ. I want to pursue, relentlessly pursue idols this year. No one ever says that, right? No Christian ever says that. 
we all say that we want to serve the Lord, that we want to live for His glory, but that verse tells us something very, very important. It's a great warning for us. That a Christian who, desi who desires to live for the glory of Christ that has no personal discipline will receive nothing from the Lord. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. So this is why we're going to spend the next several weeks pressing and pushing on these disciplines. This is God's design. That we cannot advance forward in the Christian life apart from discipline, apart from diligence. So I want everybody leaned in today and over the next few weeks. You're about to hear from God's Word. You're about to hear something laid out for you. And I want to encourage every single one of us to listen with a heart and desire to immediately respond to these things. To move more and more in this direction. Alright, let's pray and let's ask God to bless today. Let's ask God to bless this time over the next few weeks. We want to live to the glory of Christ. So let's pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we are a sinful people. God, and we own that in your presence. And you, and you even tell us, Lord, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we own that before you, Lord. We have no merit to claim before you, we are, we are the impoverished ones apart from you, God. And we want to be fed by your gracious words. And Lord, we pray that you, would, that you would visit us today, God, that you would own your word. God, you would own, that you would own your word in this meeting. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. God, we ask you to get our attention, Lord. God, your voice is... Is, is powerful and majestic. And we ask you to speak to us, Lord. God, break coldness today, Lord. Break coldness, break idolatry in our midst. Let your resurrection power dislodge idols in this church. Do it today, Lord Jesus. Show yourself to be powerful. Show yourself to be glorious. God, I pray for the, hard, for the most hardened person in this room that you would, would, would do a power move in their soul and that you would let light shine out of darkness today in their heart and that you would reveal your glory, Lord, all over this place, God, that you would encourage us. We desire to hear from you today, Lord. God, we pray that you would carve out a moment for every person in this room that you would personally address them and that they could walk out of this place today with a conviction that they have heard from you, the living God, and not from a man. God, I ask for this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Alright. Our topic today will be the Scriptures. And our passage today will be 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Now, verse 16 of this chapter probably contains the most important... And perhaps the most familiar statement about what the Bible says about the Bible. Okay? Very familiar verse. But today we're going to pull in some of the surrounding context of verse 16 that you might not be as familiar with. So I want to encourage you today, don't let familiarity with verse 16 keep you from hearing from God. All, every person in this room, every believer in this room, you ought to have a desire. Lord Jesus, speak to me. From your words, speak to my neighbor. So let's read this passage together. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. 
We're going to read through verse 17. Here's the word of God. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God. This is what we're diving into today. And I want us to start right off the bat with this commandment that is given in verse 14. This is the commandment to continue in the Bible. This is the main thrust of this passage. This is the main thing that you should feel as you leave this place today. That God commands you to continue in the Word of God. I was struck by this this week. One of the most powerful statements about Scripture, about its inspiration in verse 16, is given in a paragraph with the main thrust of doing something with the Bible. Think about that. You affirming verse 16 doesn't do any good unless you do something with verse 14. Having high, weighty thoughts of the Word of God is worthless unless you're doing something with the Word. And the commandment here, God commands every one of us today to continue in the Bible. To continue in God's Word. Let's press into this. Let's get some scriptures out in front of us. The Greek word... Under the commandment to continue is the word meno. The word meno. It means to stay, to remain, and to continue. It is used 118 times in the New Testament. This is not a tertiary thing in God's word. This is an established command. This is the same word that Jesus uses 10 times in John 15. And that passage about the vine and the branches where He commands us to abide in Him. We are to continue in Him. We are to remain in Him. Same command here. We are commanded in God's Word that we must continue in the Christian life. That we must continue on with the Lord Jesus. Perseverance. That's what this doctrine is referred to as. It is proof that you are actually a Christian. It is evidence that you have been transformed by God the Holy Spirit. It's a manifestation of your salvation. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain to all that they are not of us. That they are not of us. The ones who fail to persevere, who fail to continue on in the Christian life, reveal themselves to be unbelievers. Reveal themselves to be unbelievers. Believers persevere, persevere in the Christian life and false converts do not. Believers persevere. They continue on with Jesus, but false converts do not. Listen to John 15 verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is something that you need to hear 
with the utmost reverence that you are commanded in the Word of God to continue on, to persevere in the Christian life. This has eternal ramifications for every person in this room. But I want to take this even further. This passage gets even more specific. And here's what we're pushing into today. Okay? We are commanded to persevere in the Christian life, to continue on with Jesus. But this passage takes a direct line connection between our perseverance with the Lord Jesus, our continuing on with Christ, and what we are doing with the Bible. What you are doing in your personal life with the Word of God. There's a direct connection here. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, Timothy is to continue in what he has learned and firmly believed. That's the commandment. It has a context. Timothy is not commanded to continue on with Jesus in this vague, hippie way. It's not a mystical way. He is to continue on in something that he has learned and believed. These are words. He is to continue on in words. Look at verse 15. These words that Timothy is commanded to continue on in, in verse 15, those words have a name. They're called the sacred writings. This is the book that you're holding in your hand. The holy writings. The sacred scriptures. In verse 16, these words that Timothy is commanded to continue on in, they're called the God-breathed Scriptures. This is the book that you're holding in your hand. So I want you to see this direct commandment, this explicit command in God's Word, that every one of us are supposed to do something with the Bible. We are to continue on in the Scriptures. And I want to ask you personally, as we get started, right off the bat, That jumped off pretty hot, right? How are you doing with this? How are you doing with this? There is an explicit command for us to continue on in the Word of God. How are you doing with that? If we were to dig into your personal life, the last week, the last month, the last six months, 2015, how are you doing with this commandment in God's Word to continue in the Scriptures? Here's the reminder. Every person in this room... There is not one among us, not one, that is allowed to divorce your relationship with Jesus Christ from your relationship with the Word of God. You are not allowed to do that. You hear this slung around all the time in our culture of so-and-so loves Jesus, but she just doesn't know the Bible. What? What? Jesus said, if you have His commandments and keep Him, it is He who loves me. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you see this? It is impossible. You are forbidden. You are not allowed to divorce your relationship from Jesus Christ from your relationship from the Word of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Do you see that? Your abiding in Jesus is is contingent on you abiding in this Word. You can't divorce that. You can't abide in Jesus and not abide in His Word. You can't divorce your relationship to the Word of God from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to this, John 8.31. If we have any skeptics that remain of what I'm saying right now, you listen to Jesus. 
And you let Him pierce through these false ideas in our hearts and my mind, in our minds. John 8.31, Jesus says, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. I'll say it again. If you abide in My Word, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. The one who continues on in the Bible continues on with Jesus. And the one who refuses to continue on in the Bible refuses to continue on with Jesus. Yes, it is that important. That's the weight that I want us to feel from the very beginning. It is that important. It is, it, it is, it is sad that the way that we, we give Christians some good advice. We got some good advice this year that it would be really great for you if you get in the Word of God. Do you know that your soul hangs on your response to the words of the living God? Do you understand that? Do you understand this direct line connection between you and the Word of God and you and Jesus? That's the weight that I want us to feel today. This is the commandment in this passage. Continue in the Bible. Continue in the Bible. And then I want us to look at the backdrop. It does no good for us to talk about how inspired God's Word is if we play patty cake games with the Scriptures in 2016. Do you understand that? It does no good for you to talk about how inspired it is, how inerrant it is, if you never pick it up and read it, and if you never study it for yourself. Nobility in God's Word, Acts 17, verse 11, is defined by a, a local church, every member, not just pastors. Nobility is defined by someone daily searching the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 5, church members are rebuked. They are rebuked for amount of time passing where they are still unable to teach other believers the Word of God. They're still on the milk. They're not on the meat. Every believer, you have a responsibility to God's Word. This is the commandment. This is the commandment. Now, we need to feel that more than we do. We need to feel that more than we do. And to do that, I want us to see the background of this commandment in this passage. Okay, This commandment to continue on in the Scriptures that's given to Timothy is given in a context in chapter 3. And I want us to look at that. Paul knows this man loves the Lord, this young preacher. And he also knows that Timothy lives in dangerous times. Look at verse 1. We'll read verse 1 through 5. This is the background. Verse 1 through 5. But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then he commands Timothy to avoid such people. This is the context. Continue on in the Word, because you are alive in dangerous times. There will be a final generation that sees the return of Christ, but when the New Testament uses this phrase, the last days, 
the last days. This actually refers to the entire period between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. Timothy lived in the last days. He lived in these times of difficulty. Timothy lived in the last days and so do we. So here's the warning. Okay, We live and move and wake up in these last days, in these times of difficulty. And here, here's how you need to hear this commandment to continue on in the Scriptures. That you do not live in a culture and in a time period where you can put your Christian life on autopilot and coast. You don't live in, in these time periods. You live in a difficult time. You live in these treacherous times. So if you decide to click in autopilot and coast in the Christian life, you don't actually stay where you are. You begin to drift. That's the context of this commandment, that you are to continue on in the Scriptures in the middle of this ungodly age. And here's the danger for us. We are in danger of falling in love with other things besides God. Do you know that about yourself? Do you feel that about yourself? Do you feel the tension and the pull as you wake up in this world to love other things besides God? Listen to it again. There will be lovers of self. There will be lovers of money. There will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the world that you woke up in this morning. This is the world that you're going to work in this week. And my encouragement to you is you cannot be apathetic about the dangers of being affected by this ungodly age, this age that loves things more than God. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Here's the command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now here's what I want us to see. The worldliness that we just read about in the first five verses that worldliness is going, to affect, it's going to infect some in the Christian community. That's not just them out there. Look in verse 13. We are to expect some among us to be what verse 13 calls imposters. Okay? This is not singling anybody out and being mean. We are supposed to be on guard that there will be some among us that are imposters. They will be infected by this ungodly age. These times of difficulty, these last days. Imposter means they're a hypocrite. They put on an external show, but they have nothing going on on the inside. They say some of the right things as a Christian, but in the heart there's no love for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The way verse 5 describes it is that they have an appearance of godliness, an appearance of Christianity, but they deny its power. So they have some form in their life, but there's no, there's no fire. There's, there's, they have some external things going on, but there's nothing on the inside. Do you fear this being you in 20 years? When is the last time that you took heed 
to, to the commandments in Scripture to persevere on, to not love the world. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you prayed this? Lord, keep me. I don't trust myself, but I trust you. Lord, keep me. Keep me in the faith. Keep me believing the gospel. Keep me walking with you. Protect me from myself. When's the last time you felt that warning? When's the last time you, you, you searched your heart about this love for the world? We are to expect this. We're to expect this. According to verse 13, 14, you have these imposters that are, that are somewhat connected. They're not really part of the church, but they're somewhat connected to the people of God. And then in verse 14, what specifically is going to set Timothy apart from these imposters in verse 14? It says this, but as for you. So you have these imposters and they're, and they're fakes and they're hypocrites. And they're not real Christians. But Timothy is going to be different. But as for you, that's a contrast. And what does Paul say is going to set Timothy apart from these cultural Christians? What is it? It's his response to the Word of God. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue in, in what you have learned. This is what is going to set Timothy apart. And it's no different today. What's going to set us apart? In the midst of an ear-tickling generation that loves to soft-pedal the Word of God. What's going to set us apart? That we continue on. That we hear the truth of God and believe and respond. That we continue on to eat the meat of the Word of God. This is what sets us apart. You see this straight line connection between perseverance, authentic Christianity, and what we do with the Bible. What we do with the Bible. I want you to feel that straight line connection this morning. And I want to ask you this. We'll stop right in the middle. And we'll ask this question, is anyone here, even, even in the past 20 minutes, is anyone here, are you under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, of your lack of personal attention to the Word of God, the past week, the past month, the past six months? Are you under conviction from God the Holy Spirit of what you have failed to do with the Bible last year? Anybody here this morning? That feels the weight of God says continue on and you have played games with His Word. I'm not slinging stones at anybody. I'm encouraging you, do not ignore this. Do not ignore this. If you have children, every parent in this room, if, you're, if your kid touches a hot stove, you want them to have that recoil. You want them to have that pullback. That that hurt. I'm not going to touch that stove again. That hurt. That's the conviction of God. It is grace from God that you be confronted with laziness to the scriptures. It is grace from God. Don't run from that. Don't run from it. And I want to encourage you too. Don't be paralyzed by it. Don't be paralyzed by it. So many times we're convicted by God and we just sit in it. And that is not the point of conviction. God reveals sin in our life to restore us. He is a father that is calling us to walk with him on the path of righteousness. And so I want to encourage you today, you do not, there's so much language around, I, I grew up this way, I, I've always been this way, I will always be this way. And I'm telling you, if you believe that about the Bible, I, I'm, I'm confronting that lie in your mind if that's landing on you today. You do not have to live your entire life in laziness to God's word. You don't. That is a lie. 
Romans 6, 11 tells us that we are supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You need to believe God today that because He has made you new, that you are dead to apathy to the Scriptures and that you are alive to a victorious relationship in the Word of God. I want to encourage you. Don't just sit in conviction. you got to believe God and move forward. That God is at work in us. He's at work in the believer. And that's exactly what this passage does. Okay, We're about to see five encouragements in the Word of God. Continue. And then for these five reasons. These are motivations from God. And I want us to hear them today and walk out of here encouraged. Of Lord, I want to continue on with you. I don't want to play games with your Word. I want to continue on. Number one. This is uh, motivations, arguments for why we should continue on in the Scriptures. And number one is we should continue on in the Bible because of its effects on our teachers. And you see this in verse 14 with the phrase, knowing from whom you learn them. That's one of the arguments that Paul gives Timothy. Continue on in what you've learned knowing from whom you learn them. So what do we know about Timothy? We know some. We know in Acts 16 that, uh, and maybe you can relate to this. We live in a lot of ways in a fatherless generation. And even some of us who grew up in houses with fathers, we didn't have fathers that shepherded us in the things of Christ, that loved the Lord, and that, that, that fed us God's Word. So in a lot of ways, we stand in the midst of a fatherless generation. And Timothy's father was a pagan Greek. This, this, this young preacher, he grew up, and his daddy did not love God. We see that from Acts 16. But, the, the Bible teaches us that his mama and his grandmother, they loved Christ. Listen to, listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul tells Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So this man had a mom that was the real deal. That's what that word sincere means. She wasn't a cultural Christian. She didn't have a few of the right answers. She had sincere love and faith for the Lord Jesus. She was the real deal. She was a real Christian. And this woman and her mama... Generational faithfulness. They began to pour the Word of God in Timothy's life from his youngest of days. So Timothy's got some examples. He, he can relate to us in some ways and that his father was a pagan. But he's got some examples in his life of some people that the Bible has shaped. Has shaped. He is a personal witness of his mother and his grandmother and he's been personally mentored by the Apostle Paul himself. And so he's got, he's got front row views of the Bible transforming people's lives that he loves. That he loves very much. His mother, his grandmother, and the Apostle Paul. He's got evidence that this word shapes people's lives. And the first argument that Paul gives him is that he is to consider its effect... Consider the effect that this word has had on your teachers. Look at what it's done to them. Look at who it's shaped them to be. Look at their godly character. It's the real deal. The Bible produces 
godly men and women. And this is the commandment for us today. You think about people. You think about people who have had an influence in your life with Jesus. You are to consider the effect of sound doctrine on a person's character, on their godliness. Look at the impact that the truth makes on people's lives. That's the command. And I just want to encourage us with this. Before you consider these new and novel interpretations to the Bible, of I've thought this way for six or seven years, but you know, five minutes ago I saw a couple things and now I think this way. And I can't really find anybody in church history that has ever said these things, but I'm pretty sure that this is what God has said. Before you go in this new and novel direction of interpreting the Word of God in, in new and novel ways, you are to remember the effect that the truth has had on people that have gone before you. People that have gone before you. And the warning is this. False teaching produces false living. If we gravitate towards new heresy, new twistings of the Word of God, it will affect our life. That is not something that just stays on paper. It works its way out in practice. So false teaching produces false living. And you see that in verse, verse 9 in our passage, that these false teachers, their moral errors are going to be made known at some point. That's what the Word of God teaches. 2 Timothy 3, 9. False teaching produces false living. But the opposite of that is true, right? If false teaching produces false living, then the truth produces godliness. Do you know that it ex that is exactly how God's Word is, is described in Titus 1.1? 1, 1? The truth according to godliness. And that's a good test for you. How do you know if it's the truth? Does it shape people into godly men and women? That's the effect of the truth. It produces godliness. It conforms us into the image of Jesus. So Timothy is to consider the effect of the truth, the effect of the Bible on his teachers. It's made an impact in them. Number two, we are to continue in the Bible because of its ability, its unique ability. What are, we, what are we getting at here? You see this in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, if you have your Bible, just spin it around real fast. And most everyone, not everyone, but most everyone in this room, it's going to say down the spine or on the cover, it's going to say something like Holy Bible. That word is taken directly from this passage. Holy book, sacred writings. That's what this book is. And that word holy and that word sacred at its root, it means separate or otherness. So what that, that means when you read the word Bible just simply means book. And when you read a holy Bible, that, that title of the book that we hold in our hands is saying this is separate from all other books. There is nothing like this book. It's completely set apart. It's completely different. It's the sacred writings. It's the Holy Bible. It's holy and separate and completely other because it does something that no other book can do. No other book can do. And what's it do? Verse 15 tells us that it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
This book reveals our greatest need and then turns around and meets it. It reveals it and then meets it. It makes us wise to salvation through faith in Christ. Alright, let's do some motivational speaking this morning. Okay? Just hang with me. Okay, hang with me for a second. This book is powerful enough to subdue your stupidity. It is powerful enough to confront your stupidity. It is powerful enough to make the most hardened among us wise. Wise. Let Jeremiah the prophet, let him address our self-confidence this morning. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Do you know this about yourself? That you need this. You need this stupidity confronted. You need it driven out of you. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 22 For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but how to do good they do not know. Jeremiah 10 verse 8. They are both stupid and foolish. Jeremiah 10 verse 14. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. How's that for self-confidence? How's that for self-confidence? That's a reminder that because we are born into sin, every one of us are born with wrong ideas about God. The things by nature that we come out of the womb thinking about God are wrong. They are not right. You don't gravitate towards the truth. You have to have the truth revealed to you in the book. Every one of us grow up with wrong thoughts about God, and we need this book to confront our stupidity, to drive it out of us, to drive it out of us. And this is exactly what it does. Psalm 19, verse 7, an old translation of that verse says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You want to know what's perfect at confronting sinners and showing them the way of salvation? It's the law of the Lord. This is His Word. It is able to make us wise Unto salvation. So this is what it teaches us. You just, as I read you these things, you tell me, where in all the universe are you going to go to get this knowledge apart from this book? Where are you going to go apart from this book? The Bible teaches us that we have all sinned and broken God's law. You don't come out of the womb thinking that way. You come out thinking that you're a good person and that you're fine and you're on your way to heaven. But God's Word confronts us and it tells us that we are all sinned and broken God's law. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that we are all under judgment. Do you know we don't come out thinking that way? We come out thinking and we distort the God of the Bible to be this happy grandfather that receives everyone who dies. All you have to do to go to heaven is you die. And He's just so loving and so gracious and He just receives us all. And the Bible confronts these wrong ideas about God and it reveals God to be the righteous judge who has promised to punish sinners. Romans chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress on every human being who does evil. Every human being who does evil. There will be wrath and fury. Where are you going to go to get this knowledge? The Bible teaches us that we are desperately in need of rescue and salvation. 
We come out thinking that we might make a few mistakes, but we can certainly make them right. We can, our good can outweigh our bad. And we can work our way, and we can do good works, and we can be made right before God. And the Bible confronts us in this, that we are helpless to save ourselves. And we are in need of a rescue. Romans 7, verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In your sins, that's all you have to offer the Lord is a body of death, a wretched, a wretched body, shot through with sin. You need salvation. And the Bible teaches us the only way that this salvation comes to us. We come out with bad thoughts about salvation, that there are many roads to God. Okay, the Bible confronts this in us and it tells us. That the only way that sinners can hope to be right with God is that the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, die in our place on His cross as our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Where are you going to go to get that knowledge and that information apart from this book? Where are you going to go? Yet the Bible teaches us, we're not even done yet. Once we know the story of Jesus, it doesn't automatically become good news to every person who hears it. For example, you just heard about the death of Christ for sinners, slaughtered in the place of sinners. That word and that glorious gospel does nothing to you until you believe it. Until you believe it. Look at verse 15. It reveals salvation through faith in Jesus. You've got to respond to this glorious gospel. You've got to believe what Jesus has done for you. Do you see this? Where are you, you going to go to get this? This is confronting our thoughts that we carry by nature. And we're confronted with this glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ from the Scriptures. There are not 2,000 ways to be saved. There's not even two in all the universe. There's one way to be made right with God. And it's that the God-man die in your place. And you repent of your sins. And you trust in Jesus Christ. You trust in Jesus Christ. Where else, where else are you going to go to get this? That's my question. You're not going to stare at the mountains you're not going to walk off in your prayer closet and hear some mystical revelation of the plan of salvation. You're not going to read these other supposed holy books and, and they're all going to tell you the exact opposite, that you do good and you work your way to God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God comes down to us and He comes to save us and His Word reveals this salvation. This salvation through faith in Christ. And I am passionate about this. I am passionate about your personal relationship with the Word of God because this happened to me. You say, what are you talking about? This happened to me. God saved me reading the Bible in the room by myself, reading His Word. This happened to me. This is not a theory. This is reality in my life. God saved sinners through the Scriptures. Many of you have heard this. Ten years ago, I'm locked in my bedroom in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, shot through with sin. And I think I'm a Christian. I'm living however I want to live and I think I'm a Christian. And then I made this dangerous move of reading the Bible for myself. 
And you know what it did? It began to, br- to knock this stupidity out of me. And this false gospel that I was trusting in. You know what the first thing that happened? It was painful. God pierced me. God the Holy Spirit pierced me with His Word and convicted me of my sin. My whole life, I had, I had given lip service confession of sin. Y'all know what I mean by that? Oh, yeah, sure, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. We've all broken God's law. But this was different. This was the Holy God personally addressing me that I was rebellious. That I was the rebellious one. That I was the, the, the wicked evil one that spit in the face of my Creator. And He awakened me to the reality of sin in my life. And it wasn't theoretical anymore. I was now having personal interaction with God the Holy Spirit. And He convicted me of my sin through His Word. And you know what the next thing He did? He he began to strip down everything that I would try to trust in other than His Gospel. And I would try to flee for comfort in in these religious, false, fluffy Gospels. And He would strip them away. And He was revealing that salvation is only through faith in Christ. Only through faith in Christ. And you know the next thing He did? Through those same words, through those same scriptures, this happened to me. I'm reading the Bible, and what does God begin to do? My whole life, Jesus has been stories. I've heard about what He's done. I've heard about what He's done. I could talk about some of the things He taught. But God begins to open my eyes to the glory of Jesus Christ. To His glory. To His glory. And I began to feel the weight of the God-man on the earth. Living the life that I should have lived and then slaughtered in my place. He exalted the glory of Jesus through reading the Scriptures. And He caused me to put my faith in Him. He opened up this wisdom and He made me wise enough to see my sin and to see Christ's glory. And I trusted in Jesus Christ. And you know what happened to me? The same thing that happened to you. God made me a new human being. God made me a new creation in Jesus. He altered my insides. He gave me a new heart and a new mind. Yeah, I had family all around me at the time saying, Dustin's going through a religious phase. He'll be over it. 20 years old, you know, he's just entering into adulthood. He'll be over it. 11 years later, still not over it. The Lord Jesus slaughtered in my place, died for my sins. Still not over it. Do you see that? This is not theoretical. God brings us into living contact with the Lord Jesus Christ through this book. Why in the world would you ignore it? Why in the world would you ignore this? Number three. We are to continue in the Bible because of its origin. Because of its origin. You see this in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is breathed out by God. I want you to just just pause and just think about how beautiful these words are. This book is God-breathed. Every single word. All of it. Every single word is breathed out by God. Not was. Not was. It is breathed out by God. It is living and active even now as I read it and preach it to you. It is hot breath from His mouth. It is the living Word of God. 
The living Word of God. Are you kidding me? That we can go in our room, no one else around, that we can flip open this book and our eyes can gaze down words on a page and I can hear the voice of the sovereign Creator of the ends of the earth personally addressing me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? All Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Just as God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Genesis 2 verse 7. God breathed out this book and it becomes the living word. The living word. This is not a dead word. This is the living word of God. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Anybody ever had that happen to you? That you're reading the Bible and it begins to do stuff to you. It begins to, to discern the way that you think of Dustin. That was actually a sinful thought. Dustin, that was actually a sinful motivation. It begins to cut us on the inside and separate righteousness from sin. It's the living Word of God. It is hot breath from His mouth. Hot breath from the mouth of God. The Bible is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. When it speaks, it speaks absolute truth. It is authoritative. No matter how many thousands disagree with it, it is truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. Who said that? Who said that? Jesus tells us that God's word is truth. No one to ever follow Jesus is smarter than Jesus. This word is truth. Psalm 119. 160, the sum of your word is truth. It's true. It's no more possible for the Bible to lie than God to lie. God can't lie. Therefore, the Bible cannot lie. It is no more possible for the Bible to make an error than God to make an error. Do you understand this? You need a straight line connection. That when you begin to attack the Bible, not that you would... But when people begin to attack the Bible, they automatically attack the author of the Bible. If you begin to assign error to the Bible, you begin to assign error to the author of the Bible, the one who breathed out the Bible. And he is true. And he cannot lie. When the Bible speaks, it also speaks with the same authority as the living God. You hear people say this sometimes, that we should worship God and not the Bible. You know what? I agree with that. But you know what else? How many words, if I were to give you a pen, and I were to say, enlighten us with your insight. Tell us how many words could you put on this piece of paper that the living God has ever said that you have not read in this book? And it ought to be a big, fat zero. You know nothing that God has ever said with certainty and with authority that is not written in the book, it is the authoritative voice of God. When Scripture speaks, the proper response is to tremble. To tremble before the Word of God spoken. This is God, the King of glory, addressing His creation. It is not possible. It is not possible to fear the Word of God too much. It's not. It's not. Listen to Psalm 138, verse 2. You have exalted... Above all things, 
your name and your word side by side. Side by side with the name of God, the word of God. You see how you can't do, you can't divorce this relationship that you have with God with this relationship that you have with his word. You can't. You cannot. This high view of scripture is part of being a Christian. Okay? This is foundational doctrine to Christianity. This is, this is not plus doctrine. This is not uh, secondary issues. This is foundational to you being a Christian. And what I mean by that is you can't be a Christian, a follower of Christ, and have different beliefs than Jesus. By definition, a Christian believes the same things that Jesus believed. And Jesus told us what he believed about the Bible. John Chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus tells us that Scripture can never be broken. It is the inerrant Word. Jesus affirms the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. And then in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus tells us that not an iota, not a dot of this book will pass away until everything is accomplished. You are not allowed to believe anything different than that about Scripture. You're not allowed to have a lower view of Scripture than Jesus. If you're a Christian, His views become your views. His beliefs become your beliefs. And you just think about that. Say we did. Say we, say we fumble the football on inerrancy, on, on God's inerrant Word. This opens up the door to hundreds and thousands of heresy. Why? Because there's no longer any standard of truth. The Word of God is given to judge man, not the other way around. We don't collectively come around the Bible and say, yeah, I think that's in. Yeah, I think Paul said that. But yeah, I don't think Jesus said this. We are not allowed to judge God's Word. God's Word judges us. His Word is inerrant. And I want to encourage you with this. You need to expect Satan to attack your thoughts about Scripture and expect it to be in a deceptive and a subtle way. There was somebody, I don't know, maybe you're on the internet and you stumbled across some offhanded comment about this new way to read this verse in Scripture. Okay? You need to expect Him to assault the inerrancy of the Word of God. He's done it from the very beginning. Did God really say? That's our enemy. He assaults. Did God really say? And every single one of us, we need to fix this in our soul. You need to fix this once and for all. Do you believe this book is the Word of God or do you not? Because if you believe it's the Word of God, then, then, then there's no place for playing games. If you don't believe in the word, that it's the Word of God, then you got games to play until you're 80 years old. But if you believe it's the Word of God, communication from another world, the inerrant Word of the living and the true God, then there's, then, then there's no games to play with this Word. We have to continue on in this book. Continue on in this book. I want, you to, I want you to take me literally, okay? The next time you open this Bible, and I hope it's soon. I hope it's before you go to bed tonight, maybe tomorrow morning. But I want you to stop, literally, and I want you to thank God. I want you to meditate on what we're talking about right now. That God, I'm about to turn open this book, and I'm about to read words on a page, but I am about to hear your voice. You are about to personally address me, a sinner. And you are the king of glory. Do you see how much grace 
It is just in the fact that we have a Bible, we don't deserve to hear from God. We don't deserve to hear His voice. This is a gracious gift that we get to commune with God over His Word. And what could possibly be boring about that? If you were a Christian, what could possibly be boring about that? And I want to throw it up and charge any any person that this fits. It is a wicked sin to neglect to hear the voice of the living God in Holy Scripture. It is a wicked sin. It is a sin to be repented of in your life. To refuse to hear the voice of God in Holy Scripture. Number four. Continue in the Bible because of its usefulness. You see this in verse 16. The rest of verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the Bible is inspired, but it's also profitable. What does that mean? It makes a difference. It's useful in your life. You know those thoughts that come? Like, man, this is, this is like a, a waste of time, right? No, it's profitable. It's not a waste of time. It's profitable. You don't have to do anything to it to spice it up, to make it profitable. It is profitable. Read it, study it, believe it, obey it. It's profitable. It will change your life. It will make a real discernible difference in your life. It's profitable. The moment that you cave on, on either one of these two things, on the inspiration of Scripture or the profitability of Scripture, you set yourself up for a massive fall in the Christian life. God's Word is God breathed and it's profitable. By nature, it's profitable. Some people talk about, we need to make God's word relevant. No, that's nonsense. Do you understand that? We don't make God's word relevant. God's word is already profitable. It already is relevant. You just need to get out of the way. Just don't jack it up. Don't, don't, don't make it irrelevant. Just deliver it hot. It is powerful. It is profitable. It makes a real difference. In people's lives. Scripture is profitable for teaching. We'll go through these four. Teaches us about God. Teaches us about what God demands. God's standards. God's judgment. God's plan of salvation. Teaches us about us. Tells us why we're here. Tells us where we came from. Tells us where we're going. Tells us about eternity. Tells us about a range of things that affect our life. It teaches us. It teaches us truth. And it confronts anything that is false. The Bible is profitable for teaching. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. God's Word can do that in your life. You read it. You study it. You hear it preached. And it can make the simple wise because it's profitable for teaching. Profitable for teaching. Too many people have authoritative opinions without knowing authoritative Scripture. Y'all know what I mean by that? Well, I think it should be this way. Well, what's your verse? What's your authority? What are you leaning against? Okay? And we don't want to go that direction. We don't want to be opinionated Christians. We want to be, thus says the Lord, Christians. Walking in the authority of God. Not giving people the words of man, but the authoritative Words of God. Thus says the Lord, Christians, full of the Word of God. But also humble, right? What do you do when you've always thought this way? And then you read something in the Bible that's this way. 
What do you do? What do you do when it confronts you? When it confronts... You've thought this way your whole life, but it just taught you something different. You bow to the book. You bow to what God says. It doesn't matter if you're 60 years old. And for 60 years you've heard something one way. God says it and you bow to it because it's His authoritative word. It's profitable to teach you. It can transform the way that you think. Transform your worldview. It's also profitable for reproof. That word is literally rebuke. It exposes our sin. That sounds pleasant, right? You're reading the word of God and it calls you out. And God's word never soft pedals sin. It never minimizes it. It is wicked. It is an offense to God. And God does that through his word. He awakens us to personal sin. He rebukes us. We transgress God's commands. It, 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 it lights up our guilt. And it shows us that we have stepped off of God's path. Listen to Romans chapter 7 verse 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. That ever happened to anybody? You didn't even know something was a sin until you read it in the Bible. You mean love my neighbor as myself? As myself? That I'm to love my neighbor? Don't, know their, don't even know their last name and I'm to cover, cover them with the same love that I would cover myself? Ever been struck by the commandments of God? That, you are, that sin is revealed to you that you didn't even know was sin. And unless God did that to us, we would continue to wander in our rebellion to God. That is grace and mercy that He wounds us. That He wounds our conscience regarding sin. But He doesn't stop there and we praise God. God just doesn't say, messed up, messed up, messed up, transgress commands. Next word, Scripture is profitable for correction. Correction. Now, it doesn't sound like it, but that's a term of healing and restoration. That's what the word means. This is the word that we get our word orthodontics from. The, the, the same Greek word. And the idea is that as braces correct crooked teeth, God's word heals crooked lives. It puts us, not only shows us that we have transgressed God's commands, it puts us back on path with God. God doesn't just say, don't do that. He says, do this. Not just you transgress my commands, but this is the path walking it. This is the path walking it. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Finally, Scripture is profitable for training. And that word is... is is the same word as child training. It's this idea of comprehensively being shaped by Scripture. And, and, and the inference here is that you are in a daily relationship with God's Word like a parent is in a daily relationship training a child. You are being trained by this book. It's immersion of your entire lifestyle. It's not just a little bit on Sunday. It's your whole lifestyle being immersed in this book. Psalm 119 verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So here's the encouragement. Why should you continue in Scripture? Because it really makes a difference in your life. It really does. It's profitable. Last reason, number five. Continue in the Bible because of its sufficiency. See this in verse 17. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Scripture has the effect on us that it completes us. 
It completes us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're sinless. There's not a sinless human being in this room. The only sinless, sinless person that's ever existed is Jesus. That's not what the word means. Okay? It means that Scripture, it shapes us into the perfect people to do the work of God. You ever, thought, you ever heard somebody say, you know, maybe this job is, is hiring at, the, at this company, and you say, I know the perfect person for that job. Their skill sets, their personality, they would be great at that job. This is the idea here, that the Word of God shapes us into the perfect people to do the work of God. And, and this doctrine of sufficiency hangs on this word, every. God's Word equips us to do every good work. And you just think about that. There's not one thing that God has called you to do. Not one thing in the entire universe that God has called you to do that you need any other words that, that besides this book. This book is sufficient to shape and deform men and women of God. You don't need private revelation. You need to study the book. You need to immerse yourself in the book. This word is sufficient. And look what it does. Look at the implications here. You need the Bible plus nothing else. And this is what shapes us and grows us in the Christian life. But what's the takeaway from that? If we neglect the word of God, then what do we automatically forfeit? We forfeit being equipped by God. We forfeit growth in the Christian life. There's this direct line connection again. It's showing up again. That you cannot divorce your relationship from God with your relationship to the Bible. If you neglect the Bible, you stop growing in Christ-likeness. You fail to be equipped by God to do God's work. So here's the summary. This is the God-breathed, profitable, sufficient book and we are to continue in it we are to continue in it if you're not in the word you're not hearing god's voice and this means that you are missing communion with the living god and there's nothing else in all the in all of creation better than that in his presence psalm 16 is fullness of joy and you're missing out on that if you're not in his word you're not hearing his voice if you're not in the word you are forfeiting being transformed into the likeness of jesus is there anything more enjoyable than besides worshiping this Christ that you love, besides slowly being made more and more like Him? Do you want to be like your Lord? Do you long to be like Christ? And you forfeit this if you're not in the Word. And if you're not in the Word, you are not being equipped to serve the Lord. Sometimes we have really silly ideas of anybody can do this. Anybody can do the work of God. No, no, no. No, no, no. The, the invitation is wide open. But this verse plainly teaches that the ones who can do the word of God is anyone, anyone who submits themselves to being trained by the word of God and equipped by the word of God. This is how God shapes us and equips us for the work of God. If you are not in the word, you forfeit these things. And if you persist in not being in the Word, you show yourself to be an unbeliever. I'll come back to this as we round. John 8, 31. If you persist, if the practice of your life is to refuse to continue on in the Scriptures, you prove yourself 
to be an unbeliever. John 8, 31, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. So I want to close with a story and a plea. Okay? And here's the story. I daydream sometimes. I, I, I really do. I think about... It's a weird thought, but I, I daydream about having conversations with really, really old men that love Jesus Christ. I'm talking up there. 70, 80 plus, laid down 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in service to Christ. I long to sit at the feet of men like that and to ask them questions of, tell me, tell me what I need to know. Tell me things that you have learned. Decades laid down in service to Christ. And sometimes I just daydream about you know, have, having this opportunity to sit at men of God, you know, women of God, to sit at their deathbed and, and, and to say, if you could tell me anything else, what would you say more than anything else of things I need to remember? Things I need to remember. This is how I want you to hear this commandment today. What would a godly old man or woman pass down to you in their final moments of life before they step into glory. And I don't know how many of you know this, but there's a member at this church named Nathan Nunnally, and this story sticks with me. Earlier this year, his dad died of cancer. He was a he was a congressman in North Mississippi and he loved the Lord Jesus. And he got sicker and sicker and, and he had to spend a lot of time in the hospital. And Nathan in a conversation as the sickness set in and they all pretty much knew that that this is where they were headed, that he was going to die. His dad looks at him in the face in the hospital room, and he says, Son, I have told you about the Lord since you were born. I have taught you the things of Christ. I've taught you so many things. But he said, i got one more thing to teach you. I'm about to teach you how to die in Christ. I'm going to show you how to die in the Lord Jesus. And I want you to think about how, how, how pierced for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, that those words will mark Nathan and his brother. That they got a visual picture of their daddy showing them how to take his last breath to the glory of Jesus. And what I want you to see this as is this letter of Second Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul. His deathbed speech to his son. He is about to check out. He is about to be put to death for the gospel. He is in jail for Jesus. And you just imagine being this young preacher and you get to come sit at his feet and you say, if you could tell me anything else, what would you tell me? And I want you to hear this old man that loves Jesus Christ laid down decades in service to Christ. I want you to hear him plea with you. Plea with you. Personally. Do not go astray with the crowds. Refuse to float. Continue in the truth. Continue in God's Word. Refuse to play games with the Bible. Give your life to the study of that book. Let that book own you. Continue in it. From His deathbed. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night.
That's what we're going after this year. Every member of this church filled with the light in the Word of God. Filled with the light in the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. And we ask you to visit us, God, to visit your Word, to own your Word in our hearts and in our lives, God. And we just petition you, Lord, for nothing less than Psalm 1. Lord, do it. Do it, Lord. All across this room, do it. God, reveal and expose all the things that we delight in beside you and in place of you. And Lord, raise up a generation that delights in your law, that longs to meditate on your words day and night. Do it, Lord. Make us like you, Lord Jesus, we pray.